Welcome to the Connecting Points podcast for San Diego First Church of the Nazarene. My name is Dee Kelly, and I'm one of the pastors here. And as always, I'm so glad to be with you. Um, If you're not familiar with our podcast, we are going through the three years of the lectionary readings. We are about halfway through the first year, maybe a little bit more than that. And we are looking at the readings that have to do with July 30th. And the sermon text for July 30th was the text found in Matthew chapter 13. When we look in the Connecting Points podcast, we try and make connections between that particular passage that we look at for our text on Sunday morning with the other four or the other three lectionary readings, because there are four every week. So um, there is Psalm 105, Romans 8, 26 through 39, and Genesis 29, 15 to 28. We will glance at all three of them, but in particular, we are trying to make connections to the Genesis 29 passage. And you can follow along, if you'd like, in our Living Lectionary Bible Reading Companion Guide. Um, This is Volume 3 of Year A, and uh, you can find it at the church, at the Welcome Hub, if you come on Sundays, or call us up and just ask, and we will get you a copy. Um, So, we begin with the reading of the passage to which we are trying to make some connections. That's Genesis 29, beginning with verse 15, and going through verse 28. And this is how it reads. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, Just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak or delicate eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It's better to give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. But they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to lie with her. So Laban brought together all of the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, He took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob, and Jacob lay with her. And Laban gave his servant girl, Zilpah, to his daughter as her maidservant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, It is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish out this daughter's bridal week. Then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished out the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. This is the word of the Lord, and for that we say thanks be to God. Well, this is a uh, passage that certainly poses all kinds of problems for us in today's culture. Um, traditions in marriage and arranged marriages 
and relationships that are in many ways very foreign to us. But there are some ways in which we can make connections between this and the passage that we had in Matthew chapter 13. Just as a reminder to you, Matthew 13 contained parables, six of them, that Jesus used to train and teach the disciples. In the previous few weeks, we looked at the parable of the soil and seed and uh, the sower of the seeds. And then last week, we looked at the parable of the weeds. Both of those had explanations that were provided by Jesus and recorded by Matthew. But the next ones don't have quite those same explanations. There is the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the yeast, the parable of the pearl and the parable of the treasure, the parable of the net and the parable of the storehouse. None of these have quite the explanations that the others had. And it's almost as if Jesus is training the disciples to learn how to interpret parables, to tell parables, to allow parables to unfold in their spiritual journey so that they might be the kind of individuals who can actually teach the good news. And so we have Jesus training the disciples so that they might be teachers following in the footsteps of Christ. We have the psalm passage, Psalm 105, and in that psalm, verses 9 and 10, uh, one of the connecting points that can be made is that it is um, said in those verses, the three patriarchs that are often mentioned in the history of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it speaks about giving thanks and that God has created an everlasting covenant with the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so when we think of Matthew chapter 13 in the parables, we have to think how this sense of inheritance, whether it's a literal inheritance or a spiritual inheritance that's spoken of in the parable, or the opening lines about giving thanks, how that might tie into parables and the teaching that is described at the end of the Matthew passage where we have the storehouse, where you take some of the old and some of the new, and what you offer is something fresh that expresses the good news in the vernacular or the colloquialisms or the ways and um, the ways of living of the people to whom you're teaching. And so, the psalm passage might be an invitation for us to figure out how we could tell a story that has to do with giving thanks or living under the umbrella of the covenant of God toward us or the amazing promises of the kingdom or the good news of Christ. The passage in Romans 8, it's toward the end of the passage, I mean, or the chapter, and it talks about the Spirit interceding on our behalf. A proclamation that love, peace, and life win the day. As you might have read in the lectionary companion guide, um, we often buy into counterfeit stories about God, that God's love is frugal. 
that we have to be perfect in every way to earn or receive forgiveness. But how God is revealed in Christ, oh my goodness, that's the good news. That's the story. That's actually the scandal of the gospel, is that it's nothing we've done to earn this. It's what Christ has done on our behalf. And so what are the stories that look like that? Well, some of the stories of the garden, where you plant a single seed and a crop comes up that's 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. It's amazing the graciousness, the abundance, the gift of God that multiplies in such exponential ways. There's the way in which God has sprinkled God's fingerprints over all of creation in providing color and beauty and and the expanse of the sky and the stretch of the sea and the creatures that inhabit this planet with us and the nature of physics and chemistry and biology. So what are the stories that would remind you of the kingdom of heaven? Well, we come to Genesis 29 and we hear a strange story of Jacob, Leah, and Rachel. He becomes from our perspective, rightfully indignant to his father-in-law for tricking him. And yet, this has been the life pattern of Jacob toward his brother Esau and toward his father. He tricked his brother out of his birthright. He tricked his dad and his brother to get a blessing. He was the deceiver. He was the one who um, would do things in a sneaky way, and you assume it's because he couldn't imagine it coming to pass in a legitimate way. And so now we have him being treated just like he treated others. His father-in-law, Laban, somehow manipulates circumstances so that Jacob becomes responsible for both Leah and Rachel. And in this passage, we have a difficult connecting point to the stories of the parables in Matthew chapter 13. Maybe one of the messages we can draw here is that Jacob is being discipled if not by Laban, then by God's Spirit. Learning what it feels like to be on the receiving end of deception. Learning what it feels like to have something stolen away from you in time, in labor, in work. Learning what it means to live in a world where people are looking out for themselves and not for you. So I wonder at the end of this, what Jacob is beginning to realize. We know that the culmination of this is he eventually leaves Laban and in returning to his homeland, he comes across his brother Esau and his posture is so different than it was the last time they were together. His posture was one of humility, maybe even shame at what he had done. So I wonder if this is one of those moments where 
Jacob's character is being molded, being shaped to stand up under difficult circumstances, but to also take upon oneself the sense of humility in recognizing that the treatment you're receiving is the treatment you've doled out, reaping what you've sowed, and then maybe learning from that. So in these moments, I go back to the parables where the disciples are being taught. They've already been sent out to share the good news. They have come back. And Jesus, I think, is putting them through kind of the graduate school of discipleship as the Holy Spirit teaches them how to take the truths that are all around us, the stories that are all around us, the fingerprints of God that are all around us, and use those stories to communicate the good news. In order to do that, you need to have eyes that see and ears that hear and a heart that's soft enough for the Spirit to work and mold. Because we know there are people that hear the parables and don't hear anything. They don't hear the good news. Their eyes are blocked. Their ears don't hear. But the disciples are being trained. Trained in grace and forgiveness. Long-suffering and peace. Kindness and love. Jacob is being trained as well. Through years of working for someone else, he's learning what it means to take your work and make it an offering to God. He's learning what blessing is all about. He's learning what grace and humility are about. And he's also learning what hard work is all about. So the connecting point for me may be different than what the connecting point is for you. I hope you'll go back to the parables, maybe in thinking about Jacob and say, what is the kingdom of heaven like in this moment? The kingdom of heaven is sometimes like waiting for the seeds of grace to show themselves. The kingdom of heaven is like Jacob, waiting for things to come to pass that you're convinced are true, but are yet to come into full fruition. The kingdom of heaven. May this week for you be filled with gracious, wonderful moments where the kingdom of heaven comes alive for you. And may you find connecting points, not just in scripture, but in your life and in the story that each day has and unfolds. And for you, may the kingdom of heaven come to pass. I pray you have a great week. Look forward to when we are together again.